Hello, everyone. Welcome back to MANA Ministry. Thank you for joining us once again in our current mental health series entitled Truth Prescriptions. My name is Christelle Olasaran. I am a licensed marriage and family therapist and joining along with me is... Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Katie Elson. I'm a licensed clinical psychologist. Thank you for joining us. Now, before we begin, we just want to have a brief disclaimer regarding the intent of our series. Just a quick reminder that this series is not to replace any diagnosis nor treatment or to substitute any of those, but rather we're utilizing the Bible as a spiritual guide in improving our overall mental health well-being. Yes, and we just want to remind you also, if you're in a crisis, to call 911 or the suicide hotline here, 1-800-273-TALK, um, or if you're in a different country or in outside the U.S., to call your local emergency line. Yes. So what episode are we currently on? I believe it's episode 23? 24, I believe. 24 already. Wow. It's been such a blessing to be able to go through all these episodes. And today we are going to be embarking on the same subject matter of our previous episode, our last episode was entitled what, Katie? The You in Community. The You in Community. Can you briefly summarize what we discussed in that episode? Yeah, so basically we took a different angle to suicide and we wanted to first focus on basically how as a community we can come together and prevent suicide, which for many people they think, wow, what? You can prevent it? Um, And that's really the power of community and the power of coming together, sharing each other's burdens. And so we talked about the you, as in how you, right, me, you, Chriselle, uh, are (laughs) responsible in coming together and supporting others um, during these difficult times and for people who are contemplating uh, suicide. Yes. And then to briefly review our truth prescription from last week, can put that up, Katie, on the screen for us. Yes, it says that if you're contemplating suicide, to let people know, right? That's the part of the community. Let people help. So it's not just first off, it's sharing, right? Um, and then it's letting people help because people want to help. And then also we encourage you to let Jesus help, right? That takes some vulnerability to let people, especially Jesus, help you. And then Perhaps maybe you're not struggling with suicidal thoughts, but you're struggling with, uh, or maybe it's not that you're struggling with, but you are that person in the community. So we encourage you to look around you, to look for that suffering too. And then if you identify it to be persistent, right? Because some people might want to turn you away and then bring them to Jesus. We talked about the paralytic and how the four friends brought him to Jesus. And without them, he would have never been healed. So you have the opportunity. That's great. Like it's mm-hmm. wonderful to know that you could be a part of saving someone's life. Amen. Amen. So this week we are actually going to do a biblical case study on this very subject matter, suicide. Now, I don't know about you, Katie, but I have heard many people say there's not much said in the Bible about suicide. Um, if it is mentioned, it's mentioned and it's understood that it is not correct. But aside from that, there's nothing else in the Bible. Is that true? Definitely not. Quite the opposite. And I think generally we don't look at the Bible as 
talking about mental health. And that's really the series, the, the purpose of the series is to be like, wow, actually the Bible talks so much about mental health. And that applies to suicide. It, it's throughout the Bible. And people might be thinking, what? And today we'll be looking at a couple of cases, not all of them, both at those who um, have contemplated suicide, have had suicidal thoughts, and those who actually died by suicide. And really, again, the Bible talks about it a lot, which tells us it's important, tells us it's been something that's been around for a long time. It's a common and shared human experience. And then also it tells us that there's some help for those who are struggling. Amen. Thank you for the source of truth, right? Mm -hmm. Well, why don't we go ahead and bow our heads in prayer as we open up his word. Dear God in heaven, we want to just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here, gathered together, Lord, all around the world to learn more about the truth regarding this very delicate subject matter, Lord. We thank you for your word in which you've given us so much wisdom, comfort, and especially hope in times and in a world where there's so much suffering and pain. I pray, Lord, that you be with every single individual who may be listening or watching this episode, Lord, that you bring them to you and that they may receive the healing that they so much desire. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay. So what is the purpose of us doing a biblical case study, right? Especially regarding the subject matter of suicide. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, there's, there are multiple, um, we're still in the sub-series of emotions, right? And we briefly touched on this last episode that emotions, you know, those that are ones of despair, of confusion, hopelessness, those are the ones that often contribute to even just having thoughts of suicide in the first place. So for one, we're talking about it because we want to continue to talk about emotions and the effects of emotions but also because as we kind of mentioned before, um, the Bible talks about it so much that we didn't just wanna rush past um, suicide. It's so common, we talked about the statistics last time, it's a part of emotions, but also because the Bible talks so much about it as well. Yes, and one thing just to add to that is the fact that you are not alone. It is part of the human experience. Yet that doesn't mean we wanna leave it there, right? God gives us refuge, through this struggle. And that's what we're gonna be discovering today. Yes. And we'll be specifically looking at three cases of those who die by suicide, and then three cases of those who had thoughts, but persevered. And really, if you think about it then, is how can I be the, like those three that persevered? What can I learn from the three who died by suicide and the three that persevered? Okay, so are we going to first look at those who died by suicide? Yes, let's jump right in. Um, <laughs> you know that, Chriselle, you and I often have the temptation to go into a lot of depth. So this time, because there's so much information of so many different suicides, um, some people believe there's up to seven suicides, depending on how do you categorize suicide and versus martyrdom as well. Um, but we'll be just looking at three and very kind of superficially, but and then talking more in depth about um, their experiences and then one particular person will go into more depth. Okay, so let's actually turn to um, our Bibles in 1 Samuel chapter 31, verse five. Mm-hmm. And it is a short verse. And it reads, and when his armor bearer 
saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Now, we're not going to actually talk about him quite yet. Um, Crystal, I'm going to have you read the verse again. And I want our listeners and our viewers to listen carefully, because then we're going to read the two others. And I'm going to quiz you all to identify the one common, or there's actually probably two words that are repeated in each of these experiences. So three different people, but key um, similar experiences. So read the verse again. Okay. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. Okay. Now, Crystal, I'll have you go to 1 Kings 16, 18. I'll read Samuel. And that way we can go quickly through these verses and people can start identifying what's the key word or words that we see highlighted in these three experiences. Yes, they all died by suicide. That's not the answer. <laughs> the two main key words. So I'm reading from 2 Samuel 17, 23. And it reads, when Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, he got him home to his house, to his city, and put his house in order and hanged himself and died. Okay. okay. Now, I'll, have, I'll have you read 1 Kings 16, 18. And it reads, and it happened when Simri saw that the city was taken, that he went into the citadel of the king's house and burned the king's house down upon himself with fire and died. Yes. Now, I kind of miss our interactive uh, format. Uh, we would have asked you all in the moment, but even if you're watching later, you can uh, still comment below if you caught. What are the two repeated words in these three different experiences, Crystal? Well, when mm -hmm. and died. Died, yes, but saw specifically. <laughs> Remember, I already oh. said died is, is a common experience. Yes. <laughs> the two words is when and saw. So just to kind of highlight again in the three verses, it says when Saul's arm armor bearer saw, when he saw, when Ahithophel, this is second Samuel, saw that his counsel was not followed. And then the last one, it came to pass when Zimri saw. Mm. So it's interesting. Each of them have this experience that they, when they saw something happen, then they made the decision to take their life. Mm. Now, why, why are we highlighting this? Or why does the Bible highlight this? In regards to their death? Yeah. Yeah. What is that telling us that they saw and then they made this choice? It seems very sudden. It seems very it's sudden. Also impulsive seems yeah. to be impulsive. Mm -hmm. Very dependent on a circumstance. When they saw X thing happen, it's very dependent on a circumstance. Right. So we have those three main points. It's based off of overwhelming circumstances it's in the moment. And it's seemingly sudden and impulsive. Now, we you, key word there, seemingly impulsive. Let's talk a little bit about that, Crystal, because we, we, we don't want people to misunderstand, to think, oh, all suicides are impulsive and as if they, they didn't think about it before, it just happened in a moment. Now, Crystal, mm -hmm. I know that you've had extensive training with suicide prevention, right? A little bit of, a, you know, you mentioned last episode, but what do they, 
teach you as a trainer for suicide prevention, um, a, a miscon maybe they, they clarify a misconception that it's important for us then um, as lay people to understand about suicide and impulsivity. So they, they tell us to train um, everyone in suicide prevention with the notion that impulsive suicides don't necessarily happen. And the reason why is because if we think that impulsive suicides happen more often than they really do, essentially we're saying it's hopeless. There's nothing we could have done when that is not true. So if we carry that with us, the probability of us engaging in suicide prevention decreases. Yeah. So there are some that could be impulsive, but the majority, contrary to what we believe, are not impulsive. Yes. And I do remember that when I did the training, there were those who had a struggle accepting that because the notion was everything seemed to be, seemed to be perfect in this person's life. Mm. And then it was sudden, it was impulsive. They ended their life. And I would challenge that. And I would tell them, take a moment to look at their life. We, we don't know exactly what was going on. Something led to that moment. Some things led to that moment. And so it's very hard to pinpoint it as impulsive. So in some ways, it's kind of a, is suicide impulsive? It's a yes and no. It's a no because there are other circumstances that lead up to that point, but it's yes in the sense of they do act on that impulse and that urge in that moment. Now, this is really key because we, what we just mentioned about these three cases, when they saw, when they saw, when they saw, is we recognize, again, the three main points. It's based off of circumstances, right, in the moment, but seemingly sudden. So we're going to actually then zoom in a little into um, the first one says that when the armor bearer of Saul saw Saul's death, which just kind of a side comment related to our last episode, we mentioned that one reason to, to not die by suicide, to stay for others, is this idea that suicide happens in clusters. There's a contagion about suicide. And we see that with the armor bearer. He sees Saul kill himself. And then he takes his own life. So we're actually going to look at Saul's life because that's where it really starts. It doesn't start with the armor bearer. It starts with Saul. So what is, what are multiple factors, but we're going to highlight one main factor, the primary predisposing factor. What are the things that led up to then acting on that impulse? So it's yes, an impulse, but no, it's not because several things lead up to that. Chris, I'll tell us a little bit about King Saul and maybe summarize briefly how he became a king, how the Bible introduces him, but then really highlight and emphasize the different um, events in his life that led up to him taking his life. So the Israelites, they were tired of being held captive and they were eager to have a king. And they thought that Saul fit the bill. And Saul seemed to be very impressed that everyone around him was cheering for him to be the first king for the Israelites. Do you remember what, why he fit the bill or why they wanted him? Yes, he was handsome. He was handsome and tall, right? He fit kind of the ideal like celebrity status, which is important later on when we, we see what's a predisposing factor for, um, for his fall. 
Yes. And so just imagine being in his life at this point, everybody around you is praising you so happy and excited that you are about to be their king and be in charge, popular, popular, all of that. But then there comes David and he seems to kind of put uh, a sword in his edge, make him uncomfortable. And we see that and how jealous he becomes Mm -hmm. of David. And David is chosen by God and anointed by God to be the next king. So there's a gradual different events. And Kitty, if you want to, you know, fill some in, because there's a lot in the story of Saul, but it gets to the point where Saul is starting to get very desperate. He even disobeys God when Samuel tells him not to do something regarding feeding his army. And he disobeys God because he thinks he knows what is right versus what was given to him by counsel by Samuel. Even as a king is there's a circumstance where um, he gives a sacrifice to God, but does it out of the way that he wants instead of the way that he is requesting. So it's sometimes people can look on the outside, like they're doing the right things, Mm -hmm. but the Bible describes that the heart of Saul was slowly turning away from God. Yes. And that's the key point. Eventually Saul gets so desperate that he's even willing to see a sorcerer knowing that that is evil and that God condemns that act. Yet he does it in desperation, seeking some sort of connection with Samuel. Because mm-hmm. Samuel. So had Kitty, yes. So as you see here, I think that primary predisposing factor in the life of Saul that we see that wasn't quite impulsive, but gradual was his separation from God. Mm, so predisposing meaning what makes you vulnerable to suicide mm-hmm. and you see in the life of Saul was a separation from God and you said it Crystal it's a gradual separation where we see choice after choice right maybe if we looked at one choice in isolation it wouldn't be so bad but gradual and not just a gradual kind of turning away from God But what was the key element in that turning away from God? It was his pride, which was, was, it was fed from the beginning, but he did not remain humble. And that pride continued, continued to eat away. Mm -hmm. You know, Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goeth before destruction or in a haughty spirit before a fall. Meaning often before we actually have a fall or we have, Um, some sort of um, disappointment is because of our pride. Now, what does that mean, Griselle? What pride comes before the fall? Like in in regards to to suicide, like how does that apply? I'm not sure I'm quite getting your connection. So, you know, when it comes to like psychology, for example, Mm -hmm. when I'll give a, a case example, um, I have a, a client and I'm not going to share details, but basically she has this huge basic, uh, basic mental breakdown. Um, and what actually was the turning point or what kind of the, the catalyst, I should say, of that mental breakdown was that she was, const- she was being promoted and having a lot of success in her life. Mm-hmm. And then she started traveling and doing all these great things. And then she started having some mental health concerns and then she started getting anxious about her mental health concerns. And basically pride, you start elevating yourself to a point where 
you, it seems as if you're indestructible, right? Or, or that nothing can, can touch you. But then as we saw when they saw, so let's go back quickly to those experiences. The armor bearer saw that Saul was dead. Yeah. But the other two really highlight the pride comes before the fall. What did Ahithophel and Zimri saw that was like a, a, a punch to their, to their pride? Well, Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, and Zimri saw that the city was taken. So Ahithophel especially highlights that because his pride, his ego was hurt. Oh, they didn't take my counsel, right? Some people would be like, that's extreme, but we do, we are like that as human beings, right? Our pride, our ego, our, and if you think about it, pride actually comes from a sense of insecurity because we're basing so much of our sense of self-worth on people, on circumstances, on success, accomplishments, appearance like Saul and Zimri also that the city was taken, right? You're putting your, your sense of, um, security in your city in, in things external to you. So pride comes before the fall because you're looking to yourself or you're looking to circumstances, your accomplishments and so forth. Now, separation from God, we talked about it's gradual. Um, pride gets in the way because if we're elevating ourselves, that gets in the way of connecting to God and seeing that God is right. The, um, the ultimate being, right. But then there's also this element as we separate ourselves more and more from God, what tends to, to creep in Purcell? Hopelessness and helplessness, because God has the source of our hope, a source of all hope, I should say, and the source of strength. When the further you get from that, obviously, the more hopeless you feel and the more helpless you feel. So tell me a little bit more about that, Purcell. How does how do, how do we feel more hopeless when we disconnect from God? Well, if we understand that it is through God that there is a hope for the future. So we'll, we're currently living through a very difficult time right now, COVID and other things happening around the world, that when we don't understand nor believe, sometimes we know, but we don't believe it, mm. that God is in control and everything will be okay. And he's already won the victory. Then naturally, it's scary to have to live through these times. It's very hopeless. Yeah. So Chris, I want to add to that. Like one thing I see a lot in the clients that I'm, I'm getting as new referrals are those who are seeing the climate of the world and becoming really hopeless when they don't have faith in God, because like you just said, if you really look at the world without God, what is your hope dependent on? Now, some people have the hope of climate change. They have the hope of, you know, we can do this, we can do that, we can do that. What's so interesting is a lot of my clients who don't believe in God, they're becoming more hopeless because they realize, I had a client who said the other day, yeah, we've been talking about climate change for a long time and we keep on talking about it. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I recycle, I do this, I do that. And she's like, but I look at the future generations and they're not doing any of it. Mm -hmm. And so we could put our hope, hope in that we can put in our own efforts. But if you look at the, the history, right, the, the ink is dry in history. We look back to history. We are just repeating, man is just repeating what we have done and what we will continue to do. And so there is no hope in human beings. 
but there is hope in God. So the more you look to your circumstances or to yourself, you're hopeless, but you also said another one, helpless, which is kind of, you know, the term we talk a lot in psychology, learned helplessness. Do you remember that, Chriselle, in, in your studies? Um, do, you, do you want to expound upon that or do you want me to? You can share. Um, so I, I just remember, you know, they've done studies where like they hang rats from their tails and they're squirming and they're squirming. But eventually what happens? They stop squirming. Because I remember that study. You don't remember that study? <laughs> no, I don't. Because they learned there's nothing I can do to get myself out of the situation. It's kind of like oh, other studies where they also saw rats would be swimming, 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 and eventually they just give up. Mm-hmm. And learned helplessness actually is a, a, is a predictor of unhappiness in life. Mm-hmm. And so essentially, if you think about that in the context of what we're, we're just talking about with COVID and the climate of the world, we, that person, that client, learned helplessness. I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing. And she basically very high accomplished a woman stopped doing certain things, right? Complete depression, despair, hopelessness, and helplessness. So we see again, gradual pride, hopelessness, helplessness, overall separation from God is what contributed to these individuals dying by suicide. When they saw, when they saw, when they saw, and saw, is a a good example of how gradually, if you separate yourself more and more from God, hopelessness creeps in, helplessness creeps in, pride creeps in, and pride comes before destruction, destruction of your very own life. So, Chriselle, let's now jump into three other cases in which they also had very hard circumstances, yet, and in even suicidal thoughts but they mm-hmm. didn't die by suicide. So we're looking at Elijah, Job, and Moses. So Chriselle, I'm going to just have you run through each person. Who okay. were they? Why did they want to die? But what helped them? And then we're going to summarize and kind of look at the two and then what we can do in order to overcome suicidal thoughts. Okay. So looking first at Elijah, he was a brave prophet. Uh, but he was not immune to discouragement as none of us are, right? It says here in James chapter five, verse 17, Elijah was a man with feelings like ours. So he's relatable, right? Now, why did he want to die? At one point, Elijah felt so alone, afraid, and even to the point of feeling that he was worthless. So maybe to the point of feeling helpless as well, right? Mm-hmm. So he begged, and it says here in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, his very words, Jehovah, take my life away. Now, Are these suicidal thoughts? Definitely. And, and just a quick comment. In some ways, he also had pride before his suicidal thoughts. He just had this great Mount Carmel experience where he rained down fire from heaven. And so he was feeling good. But then, you know, he got scared and and so we also see that element, but he does something different. So what helped him with these suicidal thoughts? Yes. And so how does he respond, right? Elijah pours out his feelings to God. So he doesn't keep them inside and allow them to ruminate to his destruction. Emotional he pours it out. Expression. What was that? Emotional expression, which we talked about instead of suppressing. Yes. Suppressing. Yes, we don't want to escalate to the point of explosion and then drop down to no resolution, referring to the cycle of emotion. 
How did God encourage him? God showed him concern and gave him a demonstration of his power. God revealed himself to him. He also assured Elijah that he was still needed and gave Elijah a caring and capable assistant. So it wasn't simply that God said, okay, don't worry. I make you feel better. He also provided aid to him, recognizing that he was in need of help. And, and not just aid, but also gave him a meaning and purpose beyond his suicidal thoughts. So it's turning away from my circumstances into myself to Mm -hmm. a higher being and a higher purpose and meaning in life that grounds us. Love that. Yes. And so if you want to look further into that, that story, go ahead and read first Kings chapter 19 verses two to 18. Okay. But now we're going to turn to Job. Who was Job? Well, Job was a wealthy family man who faithfully worshiped the true God. Mm. Now, why did he want to die? And so there's a lot of things that had happened in the life of Job. Job's life took a major turn Mm. for the better. No, for the worse. He lost all, literally all his possessions. All of his children died in a disaster, devastating. He got an agonizing disease. And finally, he was cruelly and falsely accused of causing his own problems. Something's wrong with you, Job. It's your fault. You're the reason why you feel the way that you feel. He was attacked by the people he thought loved him. Mm-hmm. And, Job's, and Job said, I loathe my life. I do not want to go on living. Mm-hmm. Someone says, if when we are in our office, Katie, and we hear our patients tell us, there's no point. Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah. Grisel, if you think about it, if anyone's struggling with suicidal thoughts and really basing their reasons to take their life on their circumstances, Job is a huge encouragement. There's nobody other than Jesus, right, who suffered so much. Like every, if you study the book of Job and what you just mentioned, Grisel, not too long ago, is that every area of his life. So some people have just a physical disease and they're like, oh, I don't want to live anymore. Some people have just family problems. I don't want to live anymore. Some people just have um, career or financial problems. And some people have maybe a combination of two. But Job in every area of his life, he was attacked the most by the enemy. We know that it's Satan, the destroyer, who wanted to destroy him to also not only destroy him in his life, but to tempt him to take his life. But God stepped in. Yes. Amen. Thank God for that. So his circumstances were not hopeless because what happened, what helped him while well, Job prayed. Yes, he prayed to God and he not only prayed to God, but he talked to others. It says that in Job chapter 10, verses one to three, he was encouraged by a compassionate friend, Eliehu, <laughs> who helped him put his situation into perspective. And I don't know how you coined that, Katie, but I say to my patients, utilize a survey method gain perspective by those around you who truly have compassion for your situation and be vulnerable with them. And they can help uplift you. And actually in our previous episode, we talked about that, the you in community, right? And above all, Job welcomed God's counsel and help did not refuse it, did not reject it. He welcomed it. And we see that again, also Job had a grounding meaning and purpose, right? And what we see in in Job is really an eternal 
cosmic purpose. Job's life was being um, watched by all of the universe. It wasn't about Job. It was about God versus Satan. And so your life too is a testimony of God's goodness. And so when you're saying, I don't know, I don't want to live knowing that your meaning and purpose in this life is yes for this life, but also for the whole universe to watch that you could still be faithful to God, even in the midst of tragedy. And our final character here is Moses. So who was Moses? He was a leader of ancient Israel and a faithful prophet. And he was sent as a leader of Israel at a time that was so delicate for them. They wanted to be delivered from their slavery and from their oppressors. And so there was a moment where Moses was very exalted. But when circumstances weren't going the way that they had hoped or thought should go, all of a sudden things started to twist for Moses. People weren't liking him so much. So why did he want to die? Moses had a huge workload. Yes, he did. He had a lot on his shoulders, right? He was constantly criticized. I know the Israelites would say, why did you bring us here to die in the desert? Why did we would have been better with the Egyptians? And he felt worn out. And I mean, I know also like when the Bible talks about how he came down the mountain and he just had an encounter with God mm-hmm. and he sees face to face the consequences of sin. Mm-hmm. That's a lot to carry. And so it says here in Numbers chapter 11, verses 11 and 15, this is what he cries out to God. Please kill me right now. There's that element of sudden and impulsive. But we know that it wasn't just that moment that he wanted to die. There was a lot going on. There were other factors contributing to that moment. And he cries out to God. So it's not just a, the other uh, three individuals we see that they're not crying out to God. They're looking at their circumstance and then immediately turning to themselves and wanting to kill themselves. He cries out to God. He cries out to God. And what helped him? Well, Moses told God how he felt. He was vulnerable. He expressed his emotions to God. And God helped Moses lighten his workload to alleviate the stress. Stress management 101. (laughs) Okay, so now we just covered the three characters that had suicidal thoughts, but the way that they responded came to the point that they didn't follow through with these suicidal thoughts. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Crystal, just a quick comment. Um, What's actually fascinating about two of these individuals, they actually end up going to heaven, Moses Mm -hmm. and Elijah, which is fascinating. Like, and and (sighs) they go to heaven, they were translated, right? Um, So, well, Moses died and then went to heaven. Elijah was taken straight without dying. So it's, which tells me it's okay to have suicidal thoughts, right? As in, it it could be a normal human experience, but it's what you do. How do you respond? So what was different between these three biblical characters um, of those who died by suicide and then those, the three that had suicidal thoughts, but did not die. So we noticed that instead of it being sudden, um, I mean, both in some ways, had very terrible circumstances, but some might even argue that these last three, Moses, Elijah, and Job, had even worse ongoing chronic stressors, right? That they had more difficulties. Now, suffering is subjective, right? That's a lot of times people start comparing themselves to other people. 
every everybody who suffers, no matter how they suffer, suffer, it's real to them. But we do see that these three latter individuals had ongoing chronic stressors. But we know that it's they overcame by the strength of God. We also see that instead of being prideful like the first three, they were humble. And we see that by them being vulnerable enough to come to God. Humility requires you to see not yourself as God, right? That's pride, elevating yourself. But it's saying, I can't do this on my own. I'm actually weak. And we saw a constant theme of them talking to God. They turned and they clung to God. It didn't change the stressors. That's really important. A lot of you maybe who have suicidal thoughts or in a lot of despair, a lot of the you know, times it doesn't necessarily change the circumstances. But so if you think about it, if I'm going through a really hard time, but I call you and I'm like, Carcel, you know, I'm going through a really hard time. You don't really fix my stressors, but just the fact that you're there for me helps me get through them. And that's what they did. They turned to God. Sometimes God does deliver them, but it's like the three Hebrew boys that say in Daniel chapter two, that even if God doesn't deliver us, we will still worship him. We'll still believe in him, right? He can, but sometimes he doesn't because I'd rather be in the fire with him Mm -hmm. than to not be in the fire without him. So then the third point is that um, unlike the first three, these individuals maybe had moments of, of, you know, hopelessness, right? And helplessness, but overall they had hope that anchored them, hope that God could help them through their circumstances, both in this life and in the life to come, right? They were not helpless, right? Because their help was in God. And so we want to just briefly um, talk about, well, how do I then cope, right? In the element of the sudden aspect of suicidal thoughts, that those urges, Chriselle, what are some things that people can do to manage those urges or impulses in that moment? Well, first off, it might seem obvious, but don't act upon them. Mm-hmm. Find just- a way, of not just distraction, but a way of redirecting that energy that you're struggling, that's being pent up through exercise, through exercise that can also lead to relaxation. I enjoy taking walks to get my mind, to have clarity in my mind, um, have a crisis box. You want to share kind of more or less what that is, Katie? Yeah. So when we're going through those, you know, when we have those urges or impulses, um, you know, a crisis box is basically, um, you could have a, it could include anything, but it's how can I go to this place and open up this box and have one, for example, the Bible is like a crisis box. You can go and read promises. Um, a crisis box can be memories or pictures or coping skills or different things that can help you get through the crisis. And again, it can include anything. It could include um, uh, even uh, like I, I think I think about old memories in the sense of like things that bring you joy. Um, it could be flashcards of like. Uh, quotes, inspirational quotes, or anything that can help you during those times. It could be pictures of your kids, because seeing those pictures, like they're the reason why I live. It could be a picture of Jesus' second coming, right? But things that you go to, and it can encourage you to get your mind off of the circumstances and onto a future hope. Yes. And if it feels so overwhelmingly in terms of that, that desire to die, Go to a safe place, right? Um, in the very practical sense, go to a place that can help you. 
contact someone who can be there to support you. Cause I know that when you feel emotionally overwhelmed, it's very hard to allow the frontal lobe to make rational decisions. Um, talk to other people, have a community in which they can support you. And I know it's hard to be vulnerable, but vulnerability is really where the healing begins. And Chris, just to go quickly back to the, what you mentioned about go to a safe place, you know, with suicide prevention, with suicide, um, when we talk about like safety plans or wellness plans, they often talk about this go to safe place. And often they'll recommend, yes, of course, go to the hospital, you know, um, even with the hospitals, like it's a safe place in the sense of you could stay there until the urge passes. But I also just want to make a quick comment about in some ways, go to a safe place can also be going to God, where it, you know, there's so many verses that talk about his everlasting arms, right? That he he allows us to come under his wing to protect us, right? So a safe place is. I, I can't think of any other place that's more safe than in an all loving, compassionate God, right? Mm-hmm. God of all comfort. And then in, in addition to that, when we're getting overwhelmed, put training your mind to, to kind of, to, to look past the circumstance, right? Cause we get so focused on this moment, but, or, or the future even, just focus on getting through that moment. Just focus on getting through the day. Matthew 6, 34, right? Don't worry about tomorrow, right? Every day has enough trouble of its own. So just focus on today and get through today. Now, Crystal, what do we do with then coping with the potential of pride or separation from God leading to suicidal thoughts and further thoughts? Well, I think it's constantly keeping yourself in check because I think the enemy likes to throw flashy things in front of us, such as putting our worth in accomplishments, appearance, relationships, things that are temporary. And when those circumstances change, it's easy to feel as though you fell on your head and there's no hope and you feel very helpless. And remember, place it in God who is constant. Mm -hmm. When we place all of our worth, our treasures in earthly things that are not going to remain forever, when those things start to be compromised, we feel compromised. But when we turn to God and have that constant, no matter what shakes our world, we will remain constant because we're holding on to him. I like that, Chriselle, when you kind of use the, you know, shaking, I think about an anchor. If you, you know, an anchor for a boat or for a ship, that anchor is, it keeps the, the boat, especially like in a storm, right? Um, it keeps it solid. It, it keeps no matter what's happening, it's going to keep you um, anchored, anchored, right? Mm-hmm. And so, if you think about for pride, you, when you just mentioned that, the, whether it's appearance or relationships or um, you, you said treasures, right? Matthew six twenty one says, "Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." That if you're putting all of your emphasis and and pride in these different things that are not constant that are changing your mood will change constantly your emotions will change constantly and your thoughts that's why we also talked about how these people had an anchor of meaning and purpose beyond themselves so how do you keep yourself from pride is not putting your your worth in these different changing things and we'll actually talk about that more in regards to core beliefs because that's a huge thing my worth is dependent on people my worth is dependent on things on my accomplishments 
And then you mentioned a key point, Crystal. It's often gradual. So we need to be practicing mindfulness, but in regards to always keeping humble and placing our worth in God. Now, Crystal, what do we do with hopelessness and helplessness? How do we, what are some things that we can do to ensure that hopelessness and helplessness doesn't creep into our lives? Well, I think a, a very important point to make is we must train train our brains to look to God instead of circumstances. And I emphasize train because I know Katie, both of us utilize cognitive behavioral therapy with our patients. We utilize a thought record. And if you'd like to look more into that, we talk about cognitive distortions and the importance of keeping your mind on what is true, not what appears to be true. And I've had patients who've told me, well, why can't I just think differently right now? It's a matter of training nothing instant is going to happen. It's not magical. This is something that we constantly need to work upon. Even us as therapists, we work upon this because we're part of the human condition. So we train our brains to look at where there is hope, to look for where there is help in times that we feel helpless, Mm -hmm. we will be okay. says in Psalms 46, one, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And like we mentioned before, God is constant. So if you're feeling weak, if you're feeling hopeless, if you're feeling helpless, him being the constant and you turning to him through all circumstances of life, you will be okay. Will you still struggle? Maybe part of the human condition, but God will remain constant and always there for you. Yes. I love that. You know, it reminds me of, um, there's a book called the hope quotient by Ray Johnston. And, you know, a lot of times um, the world in the past has focused a lot on how IQ, right? Intelligence is a predictor for success. And then research started coming out of like, oh, actually it might be emotional intelligence, right? If you have high EQ. And then this book posits that it's actually not IQ or EQ, it's HQ, hope. That people without hope are not successful because hope enables you to go beyond discouragement. And there's discouragement all around us. And so if you're looking for a good read, the hope quotient um, teaches us how we can hope in God and how we can hope, have that hope that anchors us during difficult times. Because if you look all around us, we all are in need of more and more hope. Now we want to close with this. The greatest hope and the greatest help. Yes, you all might guess we're talking about God. But specifically, there's many things about God, but specifically Jesus' life and death. Now, we don't have time to go into the full chapter, but this is going to be in some ways homework for you all. I encourage you all to uh, read Psalms 22. And when you read Psalms 22, the very first verse, you might get confused for a second. The The first verse says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You might get confused because you say, huh, I thought that was in the gospels. I thought that's when Jesus was on the cross and he was, you know, talking to God, God, why have you forsaken me? And don't worry, your your Bible didn't make a mistake. It's a prophecy. David wrote it in, in Psalms predicting that Jesus, right? Well, it's in some ways a prophecy, but also Jesus was Um, intentional about quoting from Psalms 22 to bring that Psalms to the minds of those who were around him. Now, why we're highlighting Psalms 22, it's the Bible is showing us Jesus's moment of despair. We talked about that suddenness, 
where all these different biblical characters, some of them were overtaken by their circumstances. Others turned to God. Jesus shows that he was in the worst of worst circumstances, like crucifixion, right? The cross, when people say excruciating pain, that word excruciating comes from crucifixion, from the cross, the, the root word, meaning there's no greater pain than the cross itself. So people who are in pain, they can look to the cross. And Crystal, why are we highlighting chapter 22 specifically? Yes, Jesus' death, but what is something in chapter 22 that can give our viewers and listeners hope today? Just recognizing that Jesus Christ, even though his circumstances made him feel as though overwhelmed, because that is very overwhelming to bear the sins of the world upon his shoulders. Mm-hmm. But he turns to God and he focuses on God. And we're turning to um, Psalm 22 because when we struggle and feel as though there's no hope in our sufferings, we look at the life of Christ and the death of Christ and realize that he has died for us. Mm-hmm. He has taken our hopelessness. He has taken our helplessness. Want to add to that? Yeah, so we see that he went through excruciating physical pain. He also went through excruciating emotional pain. There's, and let me just highlight one verse here. Um, Verse 14 says that my heart is like wax. It has melted within me. And Psalm 69, 20 actually says that he had a broken heart. And many people believe that Jesus actually died, not by, and we actually know this. He didn't die from the cross. He didn't die from blood loss or whatever it may be, Jesus died from a broken heart, right? That he had so much, some people over dramatize this in the sense of an emotional, oh, like how sad, you know, he was, he had a broken heart. No, no, in in a very, his heart was so overwhelmed, so stressed. There's actually a condition, um, and I don't, let me see if I can find the the name of it um, because it's kind of complex, but I was looking it up earlier. Um, Here we go. Takotsubo cardiomyopathy, um, broken heart syndrome. And so Jesus died from a broken heart. So excruciating physical pain, excruciating emotional pain. But what I love about Psalms 22, it shows Jesus as very human. He talks about how he's tempted to focus on circumstances. He goes, oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you don't hear me. In the night season, I'm silent. So he's agonizing with God. Verse three then says, but, and Jesus goes from looking at his circumstances to say, no, 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 turn to God, but you are holy. And he goes into, they trusted you, you delivered them. And then it goes back to, he's overwhelmed by his circumstances. The next verses, he's again, looking at his circumstances. All, all those who see me laugh, they scorn. And then verse nine, but but you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust when I was on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you. He goes back to, no, refocus to God, refocus to God. I like how it demonstrates the importance of acknowledging that you struggle. Exactly. And not pretending that you don't, avoiding that you do, acknowledging that you do. And that for those reasons, you need God that much more for those reasons, that much more to praise God for him being there for you through those circumstances. And it goes on and he continues. He then also starts talking about his problems, but then in verse 19, but you, O Lord, do not be far from me. My strength 
hasten to help me. So this is showing that Jesus, you know, Hebrew says he was tempted in all ways. He, he suffered in all ways that we could, and even more so. So if you're being discouraged and overwhelmed by your circumstances, you need to look to one who's been through it all. And even more so than even what you've gone through. That's not to, to invalidate your pain. That's to say somebody, uh, your God chose to go through that same suffering. And Psalms 22 can give you a model of when you're going through difficult circumstances, you can come to God. It's not saying, oh, but in the beginning, just, just look to God. It says, no, express those things to God. You know, he said, God, why have you forsaken me? You're not listening to me. Bring, express as Moses did, as Job did, as Elijah did, express to God. So number one is like, yeah, complain and express to God. At the same time, then turn from your circumstances and turn to God, but turn back to God, but God, I'm reminded who you are, but, and then ultimately just reflecting on that Jesus died so that we don't need to think about death. There is so much hope. Jesus died that you might have life, right? He says, I came to have, to give you life, but not just any kind of life, life abundant. Mm -hmm. Now, Chriselle, any other comments about how we can, it's almost as if we're replacing suicidal thoughts, our own thoughts of death with other types of thoughts of death, but thoughts of Jesus's death. Any other comments before we close? And then we have an application um, in relation to this. I mean, not necessarily. I mean, just to recognize that it's normal to feel discouraged, especially with the circumstances around us, but you don't need to remain discouraged. Um, and also that Christ understands your struggles. And I think sometimes we may have the notion that if I share how I feel, he will understand. Mm. But that is a lie of the enemy. He understands even more than we realize that he does. Mm. Um, and Desire of Ages, it talks about the power of contemplating on the life and not just the life, but the death of Christ. She says here, it would be well for us to spend a thoughtful hour each day in contemplation of the life of Christ. We should take it point by point. Let the imagination grasp each scene, especially the closing ones. As we thus dwell upon his great sacrifice for us, our confidence in him will be more constant. Our love will be quickened and we shall be more deeply imbued with his spirit. Mm -hmm. And so if we find ourselves struggling or maybe we're not struggling, all of us can benefit from this of contemplating on the great sacrifice and the life of Christ. And I just want to close with this verse. Um, Psalms 34, 18 says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Let's have a word of prayer. Then we'll, we'll close with a, an application. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, we want to thank you so much for your word and how your word gives us hope we can see how the human experience is one of hopelessness, of helplessness, of being so discouraged by looking at self and looking at what happens to us. But God, you give us the secret to that life and life abundant, and that's to be completely focused on you. We know that as Jesus was also tempted to look at circumstances, that we will be tempted 
So I just pray that if anyone's discouraged, if anyone's going through a difficult time and listening to this episode, that they may be encouraged to look at you, look at Jesus, to contemplate on the life and death of Jesus and see that even in that scene alone, that we can have hope for the life to come. Give each and every viewer, God, that hope implanted into their heart and that they can grow and grow and grow and that they can focus on that, that that can be their anchor in these times, God. We thank you for being a God that is a very near help in trouble, a very present help in trouble, and that you are close to the brokenhearted. You are close to us. We thank you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. So, Chriselle, we have our application, right? We always, what's our application, our truth prescription we want to leave with people um, so that it's not just information, it's application that results in transformation. So, Chriselle, what is the application for our following from now until our next episode? Okay. Well, let me close this window so I can see it here. You might have to share it. I don't see it here on my end. Okay. So it says, okay, go ahead. Says here, train your brain to focus on God and not on circumstances daily and moment by moment in the big and in the small things. And secondly, we encourage you to spend a thoughtful hour as Ellen White encourages us to contemplate on both the life and the death of Jesus. And most importantly, on the hope that it brings. Yes. And Crystal, you quoted that. And just for those maybe who are not familiar with the desire of ages, it's a book and it's a very, very beautiful, encouraging book. And so maybe, yes, maybe a third application might be, if you haven't read the desire of ages, we want to encourage you to read um, and it will guarantee you some hope um, and hope in a relationship of getting to know Jesus and his life and in his death. So Chriselle, um, as we close, right, we just want to encourage everyone to subscribe, to follow, to share with a friend, to share this hope with others, right? It's not just, okay, this is great for me and to, to encourage you to read more of the Bible and these, these cases as well, but it's to share with a friend because if you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Yes. So don't forget to take your daily dose of the truth. We'll see you all in two weeks. Take care. Blessings, everyone. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.